0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. I guess uh, first, again, can you hear me? Does this sound good? Um, I want to thank Andrea for inviting me to come over. Come over here every once in a while. And first I'd like to ask you... Uh, a little a little bit about your experience it won't tell me a lot about you but I'll get a sense of the range at least a little bit about you a sense of the range of your practice and meditation with Buddhism so I'm just curious how many people here have been involved in Buddhist teaching and practice for a month or less okay how about between a month and six months. Okay, six months and a year. A year to five years. Okay, over five years. All right, great. We have a nice range here. And um, I guess I also want to add, by the way, if, if for some reason... You have some desire to be on another email list. Um, (laughs) You can sign up for the Bloom of the Present Insight Meditation. And um, there are, you know, events that might, uh, day-longs and different things that might uh, be of interest. So my talk this evening is called Mara Mind and Buddha Mind. And I'm, I'm actually pulling together for this talk a number of things I've been sharing with um, my own sangha and Santa Cruz and uh, over the last couple months, and I kind of put it together in this, in this particular talk. Over the 40 years that I've been practicing and studying and teaching in Buddhism... In many ways, what has happened over these years is that my understanding of it or how I approach it has become more and more and more simplified. I think in the beginning when I started to practice, it was on a course of getting more and more complicated. But some point it started going the other direction and of course, over the years, for me, and as there are with other people, there's been increased information, increased knowledge, increased experience, and Buddhism is certainly a topic that could be studied for deeply for your entire life and not come to the end of what you could study. But in terms of the actual purpose and practice of the Buddha Dharma, for me at this point, in a sense, it's become quite simple. And I think that should be good news (laughs) because a lot of times people seem to get a little confused about all the different techniques, approaches, ideas, and um, ways of practicing and things that you can study. And the simplification is really about what it takes to awaken. And this is a path of awakening. That's the whole point. So basically what I teach now is that there's two aspects of our path. Getting to know the conditioned mind and getting to know the unconditioned mind. And all the teachings could be seen as pointing to how you know the conditioned mind, how you know the unconditioned mind, and how you create the conditions that help you to do that. So the conditioned mind is part of You might say it's the aspect of our consciousness, the part of our mind that has been affected or molded or um, patterned or structured by our experiences in the conditioned world. And the conditioned world is everything that we see here. (laughs) It's everything that we know as the ordinary uh, existence. And another word for that is samsara. Now there's nothing inherently wrong or a problem with the conditioned mind or the conditioned world. However, if we don't fully understand it, if we're continually confused by it from a Dharma perspective, if we identify with it, if we get lost in it, if we believe it to be the only truth then we have suffering then we remained in a small and narrow relatively unawakened state And this conditioning of our fundamental consciousness can result or does result in the creation of patterns, of habits, and of impulses. Many of these are what we end up thinking we are. And when we are caught again and again and again by these patterns we all go around again and again into creating situations that are painful for ourselves and for others that promote a kind of ignorance and misunderstanding that promote a kind of disconnection and separation. And perhaps maybe even most importantly, when we're caught by these patterns, which many of us spend our entire life pretty much caught by these patterns, When we are caught by them, we don't see beyond them to our greater and deeper nature. When we're caught by these patterns, these ways of thinking, these habitual... These habitual... How should I say it? stories we are blocked from recognizing the unconditioned mind so the unconditioned mind is our foundational state it is our foundational it's not really a state no um, words are inadequate but it's you might say our, our fundamental nature And it's called many things throughout Buddhism and certainly in other traditions. And it's called Buddha nature. It's called the basic ground. It's called, my favorite is the groundless ground of being. It's called our true nature. Sometimes called the nature of mind or the natural state. It is our unformed or formless awareness that is the The unmanipulated experience of awareness. It is by its nature non reactive. It is by its nature empty, vast, boundless, spacious, open. Sometimes I describe it as an always-present living potentiality. It is the home of a kind of stillness beyond movement and stillness and a kind of silence and peace beyond the ordinary silence and noise. And it is the ultimate resting place. And recognizing this is the key or the actual experience of liberation and freedom. Freedom is never found within the conditioned mind. So another way I like to talk about this, which harkens back to the title is getting to know Mara mind and getting to know Buddha mind. And many of you know that Mara is, is in the Buddhist legends, is the personification of our obstacles, our patterns, our inner confusion, our distractedness. In other words, the conditioned mind. And Buddha mind, of course, is the representation. The Buddha, you might say is the personification of our true nature. Our experience of reality free from the muddledness and the opaqueness and the, at times, oppressiveness of the conditioned mind. And as we recognize this Buddha mind within, which again is the point of our practice, it doesn't mean that the conditioned mind disappears. Obviously, we, we live in a conditioned reality. But what it does mean is that we see it and we understand it for what it is. And we stop grasping after it, identifying with it, getting caught by it, being lost in it. And another way of putting it, we are liberated from it. Another word for awakening is liberation. And I like both those words. They hint, both of them hint in a slightly different way of what the real possibility is, where this journey is taking you. So in the, in the Buddhist legends, it said that the, the Buddha dealt with Mara. Mara would appear to the Buddha in, again, a personified form. And there are basically two ways that the Buddha dealt with Mara. And one is simply the Buddha said to Mara, I see you. I know you. And that's all. (laughs) And so that goes back to what I said. You get to know conditioned mind you get to know the nature of your conditioned mind and when you see it from the perspective of your Buddha mind it's clear it's you rel- you by the very seeing of it it becomes no longer the driving force in your life it becomes no longer the has no longer the capacity to confuse you and it is disarmed you might say and in the legends that's what happens to Mara has all these weapons and they they um, dissolve the other way that the Buddha dealt with this Mara was in a sense to was uh, to assert his trust and faith in his own Buddha nature was to rely or take refuge, have confidence in his Buddha nature. And that, in the legend, is certainly when he asked for the earth to witness his awakening. So in a sense, these are two kinds of witnessing. And our job here on the cushion (laughs) and in daily life is to recognize the play of conditioned mind, and the fundamental reality of the unconditioned mind. And in that, you discover who and what you really are. And over time, we begin to have more and more the ability to live from, rest in, Respond from what I might call the untangled clarity in the uninhibited open heart of our Buddha mind. And we begin to recognize the conditioned mind again as a, a real, you might say, but. Rather incomplete and might say superficial aspect of actually who we are. So, this is a liberative spiritual path, the Buddha Dharma, the Buddha, Buddhist path. Liberative, meaning it's a path of liberation. And I like to remind people especially maybe in Santa Cruz, this is important. <laughs> maybe not here so much. <laughs> I like to remind them this is not a feel-good path <laughs> or uh, f- even a feel-a-little-better path. Uh, feeling good and feeling a little better is nice. I, I That's good. I recommend that. But it's not what the path is about. And it's not a path of becoming... Uh, a lot of people know about being mindful of, you know, watching the breath, and I gave some instruction on this, and I often like to say it's not becoming about becoming a good breath watcher. <laughs> a lot of people approach meditation as another skill I'm going to get really good at and accomplish something and be successful. Again, to make my point... It's a path of seeing the nature. We only observe the breath to become more concentrated, to become more present, so that we can open up to actually see the nature of reality. So it is a path of seeing the nature over and over again, moment by moment, of how the conditioned mind continues to recreate itself, continues to play out, how we get caught in the patterns of difficulty, confusion, and suffering. And it's the path of seeing the nature of what I might call our real mind. And we bring our mindfulness practice... not just to reduce stress. I taught mindfulness-based stress reduction for almost 20 years and it's a wonderful thing. But it's really important to take it to the step to allow it to reveal to us the actual nature of our experience and who we are. And through that revealing we find out what actual liberation is. So wisdom is found by paying attention to the nature and process of what is. And what is is what is right now. We're here together in this room, so what is is what is revealing and being experienced right now as we sit here together, each of us having a little different experience of that. It's paying attention to the nature of the actual process of experience beyond our ideas and our concepts and our opinions and our preferences and our projections. So we experience the habitual patterns of our conditioned mind in a variety of ways. And these patterns in the traditional teachings are referred to often as the three poisons, the hindrances, the kleshas the what are translated as the afflictive emotions and we each have developed our own unique variations on these and if you look deeply into yourself That often our experience is made up of what I wrote down here was a mess (laughs) a mess of repetitive thought, of emotional habits, and impulsive behaviors. (laughs) And our job is to recognize all of these as patterned reactivities. So, what are yours? Do you know them? Are you familiar with them? Have you investigated them deeply? Have you identified them? Do you understand how to begin to release yourself from the grasping of them, from the clinging to them, from the identification and being lost in them? Again, most people, even practitioners, are spending much of their life just being um, at the mercy of these patterns, rather than being able to embrace bringing a clear awareness to their actual experience. And so, what about you? Do you have habits of reactions that are fear and anxiety? That's one. Do you have one of self-doubt and self-judgment? That's a big one for a lot of people. Do you have a pattern, a reactive pattern, based in anger or frustration? And blame. Do you have one in in impatience and being busy and distracted and hurry? Do you have one in the wanting mind that's always looking after the next experience, the next high, the next purchase, the next app? Do you have a reactive pattern called aversion where you are in a chronic state or a habitual, repetitive experience of um, being in opposition to or resistant to or um, rejecting. Any of these? I can't tell what's happening to you out there. Any of these sound familiar? (laughs) Are any of these patterns you feel at times take you over or... Maybe even further, you think that's just who you are. I can guarantee you that's not just who you are. And I can guarantee you that those are temporary, although potentially pernicious, (laughs) conditioned patterns. Nothing more and nothing less. And because that's what they are, we can begin to fully understand the nature of how they get triggered, how they arise, what our experience of them is, how they dissolve, and in understanding all that, we become more and more free of their dominance in our life. I call these, sometimes call these reactive patterns, partly because so many of them are based in complex, well, they're based in complex um, thought patterns and emotional patterns, but often manifest primarily as, as strong, uncomfortable uh, emotions. I call them emotional hallucinations. And we spend a lot of our life having an emotional hallucination where we th- have a narrative. In this idea that, oh, everybody in the room hates me and I'm no good and whatever it might be. And it is indeed your own hallucination that's arising in your heart and mind that we get swept away in. So again, asking yourself, how much do you believe in these? How much are you driven by them? How much do you identify with them day after day? Or, day after day, do you see them as an opportunity to actually get to know your conditioned mind? To get to know that it's something you can understand and learn to be free from. And can you recognize the narrative that is usually the foundation, our personal narratives that are usually the foundation of the conditioned mind. And can you recognize these as a narrative, as a pattern of thought to which you have given yourself over to, to which you often, many people, take refuge in, rather than the refuge in the Buddha and the Dharma and the Sangha. So another way I like to describe it is getting to know the difference between what I might call the flotsam and jetsam of the ordinary conditioned mind and the great ocean of unconditioned mind that those exist in and there is a, an awareness that is our fundamental nature and then there is the changing stream of experience. And I can guarantee you that we are that awareness and not the stream. Not the impermanent changing phenomena of emotions and body and thought and reaction. But most of us tend to think we are only the flotsam and jetsam which I might call the refuse not the refuge, the refuse of the condition, of our conditioning. And that flotsam and jetsam is being thrown about in the surface waves, banging against each other, banging, our own banging against each other and each, each of us banging against each other. But... We're missing the fact that we're actually the ocean. And I couldn't help but share this quote. And I'm going to have a little disclaimer here because I I don't have that many talks on audio Dharma, but I know one of my other recent talks that's on there is... I use the same quote, but I don't use this this in every talk. It just happens to come up (laughs) in these ones. And the quote is from Leonard Cohen. If you don't become the ocean, if we don't become the ocean, we, we will be seasick every day. And this is the invitation of the Buddha Dharma path. If we don't become the ocean, we will be seasick every day. And I I want to emphasize this because I think the teachings around recognition of the unconditioned mind need to be given more emphasis and also the clarity of the continual identification of the conditioned mind in a simple and direct way also needs a little more mm, focused attention, So, at first, recognition of the unconditioned mind, I want to say, for most people, seems a little vague or subtle or uncertain or unstable. And um, the ordinary conditioned mind and world that we're familiar with, including our patterns and personality and so forth, our sense of solidity and and separateness, seems very stable, seems very real seems very solid. But over time, the recognition, eventually the recognition and the experience of this greater nature of who and what we are, beyond the simple and superficial flotsam and jetsam, becomes to seem that it is the only thing that is stable, reliable, and true while the conditioned world is seen to be as it is, which is changing, flowing, ephemeral, and dreamlike. I'm going to end this with um, a kind of quote or semi-quote, semi-poem by the Well loved Thai forest master Ajahn Chah. Some of you may be familiar with Ajahn Chah. About this mind, in truth, there's nothing really wrong with no. it, it is intrinsically pure. Within it, it's already peaceful. That the mind is not peaceful these days is because it follows moods. The real mind doesn't have anything to it. It is simply an aspect of nature. It becomes peaceful or agitated because moods deceive it. That gladness or sadness is not the mind, but only a mood coming to deceive us. The untrained mind gets lost and follows these things. It forgets itself. And then we think it is we who are upset or at ease or whatever. But really this mind of ours is inherently unmoving and peaceful, really peaceful. Just like a leaf which is still, as long as no wind blows. If a wind comes up, the leaf flutters. The fluttering is due to the wind. Our fluttering is due to the sense impressions. The mind follows them. If it doesn't follow them, it doesn't flutter. If we truly, if we know fully the true nature of sense impressions, we will be unmoved. Our practice is simply to see the original mind. So we must train the mind to know those sense impressions and not get lost in them this is the aim of all this difficult practice we put ourselves through so i'm going to stop there just for let's just have a few moments of silence to perhaps reflect on what has been said. If there's any comments or questions, we have some time for it. And Maureen will deliver the mic.
1: Can you say more about... um the origin of this conditioning this
0: like, about the
1: the origin of con- the conditioned mind what, what is this word condition i feel like there's there's something to it
0: the origin in what sense
1: who does the conditioning where does this conditioning come from
0: who knows <laughs> we just find ourselves i have no idea why we find ourselves in this i don't think anybody knows why we find ourselves in this particular world but the conditioning is that the 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 conditioning just comes from all the experiences that we have comes from the moment of birth and the different things that we learn and we see and we react to and we develop habits and patterns. It's just sort of part of what it happens to a sentient being, to a being that comes into this particular life in this particular reality. And over time it learns to adapt, it learns to respond, and that's through... I think, a natural capacity in our brain or whatever in the kind of uh, level of consciousness of what we get as being human, you know, from family, from society, from culture, from all the usual suspects. And it happens over and over and over again. And then we are taught certain things. We, it's all of that input, that creates a whole um, inner system of how we understand things and how we learn, how we begin developing reactions based on past experience and all of that. None of that's inherently, as I said, and even as Ajahn Chah says, is inherently a problem. It sort of comes with being alive and being and uh, having the level of intelligence and sentience that we have. It seems to be part of not just humans but other beings development and ability to to move in the, in the world. but we have a capacity to actually but that limits us if that's all we if that's all we think we are. We're just a kind of reaction, conditioning, reinforcement. We're a bit of an automaton. And that's why most humans are not all that awake. <laughs> they're, they're just sort of acting out of that. There's a, we have this capacity, and that's what this tradition and other traditions are saying. You know, wake up. There's there's more to us than that. We don't have to be a slave to all of that. And the the waking up is is the ability to wake up to uh, the foundational. You know, again, these words are inadequate. And but the foundational consciousness that has not yet. I have one of my teachers, one of my Tibetan teachers, calls it the pre-patterned state. So we've been very patterned. All of us. And we're continually having pressure to, be, to sustain that patterning or making more. But there is a pre-patterned capacity. And within that is incredible potentiality. It, it, within that is incredible the clarity, clarity wisdom, and the, uh, um, the unconfined, uncontaminated, you might say, heart reveals itself. And the understanding of interconnectedness, the understanding of non-separation, the understanding of the illusion of a separate self, all of that becomes clear from that standpoint. But the standpoint of the conditioning, in most cultures, all cultures have a little different way they condition, all families have a little different. But um, there's some consistency well, particularly in the West, there's a very strong conditioning towards separation and uh, disconnectedness. But from the standpoint of the unconditioned, from the standpoint of that empty openness, there's clearly no boundary there. There's th- that that's just a an illusion. So, I don't know if that answered your question, but conditioning is everywhere. It's happening all the time. And by and I want to repeat that that's not necessarily a problem. The problem is when we don't understand it and we don't begin to wake up to something beyond that. So, does that address it to some degree?
1: I think so, Yeah.
0: Yeah, and could you say your if you don't mind, being on tape with your name? I just like to hear names. So. Okay,
2: My name's Anne, mm-hmm. um, and I'm interested in what you would say about um, shifting to the um, unconditioned mind,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and um, I've heard a couple of talks recently, some old talks and some recent talks, that that reminded me of um, some of the Christian teachings that I got as a child um, and and I was understanding it was like to have the experience um, of the of reaching the unconditioned mind, it required a certain pathway in meditation, which included a study of the jhanas and a real experience of the different levels of the jhanas, which we don't hear too much about here. I'm just wondering how you think that kind of concentration and the experience that can come from it, how much does that um, determine how unconditioned somebody becomes? Forget the Christian bit, actually, that didn't really fit in. What, For, what, <laughs> what was I life? said forget the Christian bit, okay, that didn't okay. really fit in. I, I, that was sort <laughs> okay. of a leap. I'm okay. not sure where I was going with that, but the rest of it I'm interested yeah, in hearing. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, I, I will make a, just a quick comment about the, the Christian piece and that certainly if you look at the mystics, just, you know, mystics uh, from any tradition you'll see similarities. So I'll say, I'll say that. Um, in terms of the jhanas, I'm not a jhana person. <laughs> so I can't really answer that with much clarity. When I say I'm not a jhana person, it doesn't mean I don't experience the jhanas. It means I don't... I, it's not a framework that I, I work with in that way. So I can't really answer answer that, and because the jhanas, um, which are people may know the different stages or levels of concentrated concentration, um, there's there as you know too. There's many. There's a lot of different opinions and traditions about that as well. So there's no, there's not complete, you know, agreement on what they are and the different stages and stuff. That doesn't mean they aren't valid, but. What I will say is I'm much more interested in what I call distractedness than I am undistractedness than I am in a sense in concentration. Because my experience with it is being able to rest in an, a non-distracted presence. And when you rest in a non-distracted presence which some people say is similar to a formless genre, you know, I've heard different opinions about this. But when you begin to to be able to just be in this undistracted presence, you're here and that unconditioned openness is totally available. It's not far away. It's not something hard. And that's my only objection with some of these models is they make it seem, and it's simply not my experience. They make it seem more remote and more difficult. Not that they aren't valuable. I think they can be extraordinarily valuable, knowing from many people who've worked with. But it's simpler than that. It's more immediate and pervasive. And in the release of being caught, I mean that's what the Buddha taught. The end, um, you know, um, Ajahn Chah said something like, "I teach the, I teach the end of grasping. Call it what you like, you know." <laughs> so, it, it is to me that is the heart of this grasping, this reification, this getting lost and identified and distracted. Once that ceases, it's there. Okay. So the issue is then is two things: as one is is really under- seeing that and being able to release, and the other is to you might say trust and 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 stabilize or sustain that releasing. Is that same? And I know, when some of them are saying, it, there are, you know, there's, there's different views on this. So, but this is is my experience over forty years and studying in all three Buddhist traditions quite extensively, Zen, Tibetan, and, and Insight meditation. And as you can see, I'm rather passionate about this, and um, think these directions, these instructions and directions. can be very clear and pointed yeah other questions or comments I I really like to get questions and comments because you're all mysteries to me out there and I like to (laughs) know a little bit about what you're thinking or responding to
1: Well, no question. I just uh, wanted to say thank you for talking about the unconditioned mind. And uh, and uh, I don't know if you talk more about what its characteristics are or, or what it's not. <laughs> but uh, yeah. I, I don't, um, I, I haven't heard.
0: Can you say, uh, if for some reason the sound is a little odd right here and I'm having a little hard time. Oh, uh, but, what I'm, you're I'm, saying, yeah. but I'm.
1: But I'm grateful that you talked about the unconditioned mind. Yeah. And and what it's, what it's like or its Say, characteristics. Okay.
0: Say more about that.
1: Uh, just just that um, I haven't heard teachers, vipassana teachers, talk about that. Yeah. And um, and I I liked hearing about it because it sort of. like... <laughs> uh, Gave me a sense of possibility.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes.
1: And a little bit more inspiration. Something yeah. to, and Good. to help me help direct right. my practice in the future. Yeah.
0: yeah. Thank you. And that's partly my my intention. You know, the Buddha. I, I actually heard Ajahn Amro talk about this at his recent retreat. He he said, you know, the Buddha took the tact of of saying what it's not, pretty much. <laughs> the unconditioned mind. He he took that sort of... Because you can't really say it is anything, he went to a lot of pains to say what it's not, rather than saying what it is, because you can't really say what it is. But having said that, he also had... You know, when he talked about Nibbana, the Buddha used a lot of different words that kind of hint. You know, hint at the characteristics or quality of not of the unconditioned mind exactly but of our experience of it as we rest in it there's a what I would say there's a a tendency to perceive it gets very subtle but it has a certain common felt sense
1: what What has a common felt sense
0: what are they so
1: are you say something has a common felt sense yeah, yeah.
0: well, I mean things like um, uh, space and spaciousness is a very is one of the um, sense that you, instead of feeling sort of solid and tight and closed and contracted, which is often our normal state. There's a sense of openness and uh, spaciousness, and almost uh, I heard Ajahn Amaro use this word, translucency, or lightness, or so. These are, are sort of different words to indicate um, that you're released from the the tyranny of our narrative or the tyranny of our patterns. There's um, more of a sense, you know, that the there's the whole emptiness thing, <laughs> which is a a problem for people but the way i experience emptiness is, is 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 there's a i call it infinite openness there's a a sense of just openness of not being defined or closed in or attached to anything so that that's kind of a quality
1: could it also be like a, a, a great acceptance yes. of how your life actually Absolutely, is. Absolutely,
0: yes. Yeah. Right. I, it's, a, it's what I call radical acceptance, meaning you're no longer in opposition to the way things actually are, which is a, you know, is a recipe for suffering that we all do every day. <laughs> and uh, one of my teachers also describes it as a profound sense of allowing... And again, that's that openness, that allowing, that acceptance. Acceptance doesn't mean because we like the way things are, but we're willing to actually be with things the way they are and not fight.
1: It's just how things are. What? <laughs> it's, it's just how things are.
0: Yes. And, yeah. and
1: you're so seeing it and... and um,
0: right. And, and, and when that, that, more that experience, there's just so much more freedom to respond to it. When we're in some kind of resistance or fight, it's like we can't really, you know, have that fluided creative response. And, you know, and it's also often said that, you know, it's, it's all that contracting and those patterns and the being lost in our narrative that keeps us um, in a defensive posture, that keeps us in the illusion of separation, when that's gone, the only response is, is compassion, you know, is care and compassion. When that's, you know, that's gone. The, why would you do any, you know, why would there be anything else? Because there's no conflict. There's no separation. There's no, nothing to defend. And so that's, that's, you know, some people say, well, how could the unconditioned mind be loving? Well, that's how it is. Because it's not... In opposition to anything, it's embracing it all. There's nothing left out. And so the, there's a kind of, throughout, through, through if there's a natural, uh, there's a natural wisdom that is expressed in caring. There's, it's just, I don't know why it's that way, but it makes certain sense and it seems to be true. That's all I can say.
1: <laughs> My um, ninth, ninth grade science teacher yeah. tried to explain to us um, that uh, we, we think in terms of hot and cold yeah, and well in fact there's no such thing as, as cold there is such a thing as hot it's, it's energy and just when there's a lack of energy we think yeah. of it as cold but the real thing is how much energy is there so um, maybe it's that way with um, with uh, love uh, yeah. Maybe maybe it's really more like just a lack yes. of anger or judgment or yeah. any yes, of those things.
0: Yes. Yeah, uh, I think, uh, again, I'm referring to Ajahn Amaro. I believe he's described loving kindness as the absence of aversion. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, it, again, it's just sort of, a natural state, a simple things at rest. Yeah.
1: And, and if I may add one more idea that's a, a, occurring to me as we talk, yeah. maybe for the first time, is that uh, all these terms that you've been using, uh, acceptance or love or, yeah. or spaciousness, um, there've been lots of, they sound like really different things, but, but, but they, but they all connect. They
0: aren't. Yeah. 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 They aren't. And that's, uh, yeah. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Yeah.
0: <laughs> thank you. Oh, we're, our time is up. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you for your questions. And, um, I really uh enjoy dialoguing a little bit and thank you for listening and hope some of this was useful or valuable to you. So I'll do a little dedication and and then um end for this evening. Um also I'll be here for a few minutes before I take seven to go off to seventeen in the mountains. Um, So if you have something you'd like to say one-on-one, I'll I'll be here for a few minutes. so. So take a few breaths and allow yourself to trust the here and now. Allow yourself to relax into what's here, now within your own experience that's arising in your own awareness. And trust the awareness that knows. And may we all awaken to understanding our patterns of suffering, how we get lost and distracted, how we continue to allow ourselves to be smaller and more contracted than we actually are so may we recognize those and may we recognize the profound nature of our being beyond personality beyond our ideas beyond our history so that way may, we may be peaceful we may be free and may we may know the actual depth of wisdom and love that is possible.